Paul, and good to see you all here today. And let's take our Bibles right away and let's get right to uh, Acts, the book of Acts. We're going to be reading in chapters 14 today. Um, what I'm going to do is, as we read this, it's a continuation of the first missionary journey. We use that word missionary or mission or missions. Um, I want you to think as we read, we're going to read the, the, the chapter, and then uh, there's an overarching something there that we want to grasp today. I mean, there's, there's, there's a dialogue, there's a narrative, there's things that happen, it's historical, all of that sort of thing. But there's something, there's really a take home as watching what's taking place in this chapter. Larry, I might have you throw that um, map up on the wall. We'll be utilizing that as well. But Acts chapter 14, we'll begin reading now in verse 1. Now, maybe just as a backup, uh, they had just left. They were expelled, if you were, from the previous city. And uh, it says in verse 52 of chapter 13, the disciples, those were the ones they left behind, were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Chapter 14, verse 1. It came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles, also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycania, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. There lay a certain man in Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. When the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lycania, that gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you. And preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, and, and Antioch confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must 
and we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples." May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can look to you for guidance. Our creator, our sovereign Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son, the Savior, Emmanuel with us, God with us. He wore flesh, God as well. That one came to save us from our sins. He died taking my sin, taking the sins of the world upon him, trading his innocence for my guilt. Father, we can never be thankful enough for what you've provided in the great sacrifice of your son. And fathers, we're gathered here now as we praise your name, as we uplift it, and we want to glorify you in all that's said and done. We also ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us, our thoughts, that the Word of God would be utilized to change us from the inside out. Allow us to go where you want us to go in these moments. We know, Father, that you are supremely and magnificently Jehovah God. Now, Fathers, we praise you. We want you to guide us. May you be glorified as we study and you change us through the Spirit who we ask would exclusively be our teacher in these moments. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been, uh, it's been quite a little journey. We've, uh, we started out in, uh, in the city Antioch of Syria. And there's a couple of Antiochs. If you've noticed, there's one. Where's it at? I lost it. Where did it go? Where's Antioch? There it is right there. Antioch of Pisidia. Okay. And they started in Antioch of Syria. That was a church that had five pastors, if you will, or stated for us in chapter 13 of Acts. And Paul and Barnabas were, and Barnabas was the one that started that work, literally. He's the one that came. It was, it was overwhelming to him, so he went and found Brother Paul, who was in the Tarsus area. He was ministering for a number of years, actually a little bit on a soul mission. He was getting his feet underneath him. God was building a sense of a platform, foundation. Uh, he brought him back to Antioch. And then there was this, they were dispersed, if you will, those two on the first, what we call missionary journey. Now, how many times in the passage you read today did you see the word mission or missionary or missions? Zero. How many times would you find mission, missions, or missionary, or missionaries in any plural or singular text in the entire Bible? Zero. Where do they come from, right? How many of you went on a missions trip to maybe Mexico or wherever it might be? It's not a biblical word. No, I'm not saying anything wrong with it, but it's harder for us to bring a definition to something that's not clearly derived from Scripture. Would you not agree? Um, tell me what you see, or uh, not what you see, yeah, in your, in your mind. I, I'm, this, I'm this guy in my mind, I have this little blackboard. I have to write stuff down in my mind before I can see it. 
Are you like that? Not so much, probably. If I hear it, I got to put it on the board. If I just hear it, zoom straight through. I got to pick it up, put it on my mind blackboard, and then it's there for a little while. Shorter time all the time as we go on. At any rate, when I say missions or missionary, what do you think of? Tell me what you're thinking. Foreign country, that's exactly right. A long ways away, right? That's why we have a missionary conference sometimes. Uh, and just speaking, not in a, just in this church, but missionary conferences where they come back and they share what went on in a long ways away. Uh, when I say missionary, you're thinking somewhere else. Africa, I could name all kinds of places that aren't here, right? That's the term that we seem to have come, become affiliated with Missions or missionary. That's what's wrong with that word. You, then, are a missionary. I like to use the word messenger or even a discipler. Where do I get that from? Now, how many, I bet you haven't heard that word this week in your travels, have you? Are you a discipler? Let's go, well, I'm, st- I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, let's keep going. Um, what else when you think of, when I, when I say the word missions or missionary? Somebody else. Somebody, <laughs> isn't that good? That's exactly right, buddy. That's it. Somebody else. <laughs> That's somebody else. Right? You need some money? Go ahead, but you go, right? That, again, is so wrong, isn't it? (laughs) But that's what comes to our mind, isn't it? It absolutely is. If I say missionary, it's not me. Correct? Absolutely true. Not me. Yes, it is. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you, my friend, are a discipler. (laughs) Was that loud enough? (laughs) Direct enough? Yeah. But where do we get that from? Is that scriptural? It is very much, isn't it? In fact, let's go to Matthew chapter 28 for a moment. Matthew chapter 28. Now, in the King James, it doesn't come right out. It says to teach in nations, but uh, that you may have another version here today. Most of them would say making disciples. But let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Let's have a peek. Matthew chapter 28. This is Jesus's... uh, If you will, this was his parting words. This is, even we saw it in Acts chapter 1, as he would have left. He was transfigured, if you will. No, he left. He actually literally ascended into heaven. His last words were, be witnesses of mine throughout the entire world. That's another way of saying, be a discipler. Now, these words were... Uh, Verse 18 of chapter 28 of Matthew says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, the disciples, and said, uh, his apostles, if you were, that's a word that, uh, anyway, we'll move on. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Now, when there's a therefore, see what it's there for. Now, what he's saying, because I have all power given to me in heaven, because of that, therefore, you can go out and teach all nations. And in your, the version you may have, it says, what is it? It has? Make disciples. That's your job. If you've gotten saved, yes, you have an amazing retirement package. Amazing accessories. But in the meantime, you have work to be done. And you are to put on the whole armor of God and get ready for all of the onslaughts of the enemy and make disciples. I'm trying to put on my encouraging voice today. Get you fired up. But isn't that true? To teach all nations or to make disciples. That's literally what this is doing. This is a disciple trip. 
Uh, they started in Antioch. Let's just re retrace their, their, their journey for a moment. Chapter 14, we actually will we'll follow in here. But from Antioch and Syria, they left. They went to Salamis. They went to the island of Cyprus. That was Barnabas' hometown, if you will. What a great place to start. Uh, they ended up in a synagogue in Salamis. They start preaching, uh, Paul being the speaker. He gets up in front of them, and he begins speaking a lot of things. And guess what? The governor who lives in Paphos says, I want you to come and talk to me about the gospel. Whoa. How about having a government, a governor's conference in 50 states across this nation. Tell us about Jesus. Whoa, you get 50 governors that saved. I bet you Cyprus's world changed after that governor got saved. Yes, they did. And again, the resistance is going to come. There was that guy, Bar Jesus. He was a Jew, but right in the face of Paul, was trying to thwart the governor of Cyprus to get saved. Paul put him in his place. The governor got saved. They move on. They go to Perga. They didn't do anything at Perga, it seems like. It was just a, a, a hitting spot. Now, did you notice today what they did in Perga on the way back home? He preached there. He's not going to leave a place untouched. Perga, they chase through what we found to be, it's not in the scriptures. That verse is very, very small, but it, there's a, the mountain range called the Taurus Mountains. Incredibly difficult. Uh, a long journey, if you will, very, very, very painful from Perga to Antioch of Pisidia. We found ourselves in chapter 13. There was a lot of people saved. There were lots of, uh, and we, there was give and take. We were in there in that chapter for three or four weeks. Um, the results were very divided. That's what the gospel does. Have you noticed that? It divides families, divides nations, divides world. It, because it's a very distinct, there's right versus wrong. There's life versus death. That's a division. Doesn't do any different here. In Antioch, they were thrown out. Uh, like Nia, this is this province, if you will. Um, in fact, right here at Galatia, this whole region right here, guess what was the first book of the epistles that Paul wrote? The Galatians, right? They were so willing to trade in their liberty in Jesus Christ alone, they were going back to going to circumcision, all kinds of legalist kind of things, and he had to write those guys in this area. They were the first ones he visited. Well, from here we're gonna, we found Iconium, okay? Iconium. That was a place, literally, that they left. And let's go to chapter 14 now of, uh, of Acts, and we'll start to look at these places as they develop. Um, again, my overarching view of today is not necessarily just the historical narrative, but I want you to see qualities of a discipler, qualities of a messenger of the gospel. You use the terms you want. If you want to use a missionary, I have no problem. But what I want you to make sure you understand, when I put missionary on the board, that's you. Okay? Fair with that? Either that or you need to call yourself a discipler or a messenger of the gospel. Okay? Yes? Just, so the definition of a disciple? There, let's, go, let's go with that. Tell me what a disciple is. That's very good. What is a disciple? Are you a disciple? No, I'm not just picking on you. Are, are you a disciple? A follower. What is a follower? Excuse me? One believes, and if you believe, you are a <laughs> Woo, this is going good, isn't it? We're just kind of circling around. But a follower or uh, a believer, this is one thing we want to make sure we get, is a learner. I want to learn about Jesus. That's why a disciple of Jesus is a learner. And how do you learn? By following. It's just like a little boy, a little guy that, you know, just, they haven't got a big enough hand to hang on to daddy's hand, but they can hang on to that finger. I got this little grandson right now, Lariat. He grabs you by the finger and he drags you around. He's got it. He's just, he's just going like, he's this little guy, right? 
I don't know who's following who, but literally it's a little, have you noticed a little baby boy or a little baby girl can follow their daddy or mommy and when they're following, they're learning. That relationship of learning and following are so closely knit in the word of disciple. That's what a disciple is. Uh, I want to show you, it, it just it popped in my mind, so I need to go there. Let's go to, do um, you remember at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? There was a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, he was a guy we don't know a lot about, but let's see how he was described in the scriptures in regards to Jesus. Now, this is a guy that stepped forward. I'm going to just, let's, let's make sure we get this figured out. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took a shot at being totally totally alienated from the Jewish leadership community when they said, give us Jesus' body. (laughs) What are you guys going to do with that, right? Talk about being ostracized. They took a stand. They stepped out. We're going to find this as a quality. It's going to be called, I'm tripping ahead. There's boldness or courage that comes as being a discipler. You're going to step out in boldness and courage because of the power you have within you. But at any rate, let's, let's take a look at how it, Joseph of Arimathea is literally described. Let's go to, uh, I have to think about this a moment. I think it's Luke chapter 27, Luke 27, 57. And if I'm wrong, I'm not far off from another gospel. But I think it's, that would be wrong. Yes, it, there's not a 27 in Luke. That's, that's wrong, yes. So let's try Matthew, since there's not very many 27s in the Gospels. Boy, Larry's really something today, isn't he? Okay, that, that's it. Matthew 27, verse 57. Here we go. Verse 57 of Matthew 27. When the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea, whose name, uh, named Joseph, watch, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He was a learner. He was a follower. Jesus literally had been a discipler of this man that gave him his tomb in which to bury this Jesus. Now, think of this. Again, uh, if... I won't go through all of the predictions in the Old Testament, but literally it was predicted, it was prophesied that Jesus would, would die a criminal's death but be in a rich man's tomb. Now, at this point in time, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the day of crucifixion, you know what the chances were of Jesus being in any tomb? Zero. Because he would be just thrown onto the garbage dump. He was a crucifixion victim, which you just throw them out with the garbage. At just the right time, Joseph of Arimathea, who happened to have been discipled by none other than Jesus. Can you imagine that? What a moment. What a description, right? His life was very much following and learning of Jesus. Discipling. Back to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. You saw a lot of action as I read that chapter, didn't you? Wow, there's stuff going on, isn't there? And it seems that wherever Paul's at, there's trouble. There's trouble. What are they doing? Oh, if, in this, and and we see them from today from being kicked out of Antioch and Pisidia. They came to Iconium. They, are, they leave there. They go to Lystra. They go to Derby, And then they go back, retracing all their tracks. What are they doing? What are the apostles? Now, that's an interesting, let's talk about that. Just a footnote. Tell me what in the purest form an apostle is, as particular as a church is being formed. An apostle is? Excuse me? A follower. A follower. That's true. That is true. And one who is sent. One who is sent. That's correct. 
And in its purest sense, how many apostles? Are there apostles here today? No. Why not? They were not selected specifically by Jesus. That kind of narrows the crop down, doesn't it? So who would be an apostle in the time in which we're talking about? Excuse me? Paul would be. Was Barnabas an apostle? Not in the purest sense, right? And yet, in our text, that's where Jerry's going. It's plural, isn't it? Now we're back to literally what is an apostle is a sent one. It's a messenger, if you will. You are a messenger in the sense of apostle in a broader term. Now, there are no apostles. If someone comes to me and says they're an apostle of Jesus Christ because I was picked by him. We don't have any of those anymore. They're gone. They started the church. Peter, James, John, all of those were apostles. Why is Paul an apostle? He wasn't selected by Jesus. Oh, he was found on the road to Damascus. Jesus literally, intimately, directly said, you will go to the Gentiles. And Paul said, yes, sir. Yes, God. In fact, he found who his God really was. But it's interesting, in this passage we find today that there is only one apostle by that definition that's here, Paul, and yet the plural term is used, which would be a scent of messengers, sent ones. Verse 1, it came to pass in Iconium. That's our little town right, uh, right there. It's about 80 miles from Antioch and Pisidia to Iconium. They were kicked out of Iconium. I'm sorry, out of Antioch, so they go to Iconium. It says he went to the synagogue. Once again, he starts. Why does he start there? I thought of this this week. Um, he always did. If there was a synagogue in town, that's where he started. Why did he do that? And we've talked about the fact that he loved Jews. He was, a, he was a Jew himself. There was a passion there for Jews to get saved, right? But let's think about something else. What if Paul coming into town would kind of gather up at the, um, shall we say, the Church of the Gentiles? Do you know what he couldn't do after that? He couldn't go to a synagogue. He would have no chance. That, you talk about have no audience? They wouldn't even probably let him in because of who he frequented with. So what a place to start. You start with the Jews, try to get them saved, right? Then you move on. Well, he's there first. He's talking in the, in the synagogue. In fact, look at this term that's used. They went both together in the synagogue of the Jews and so spake with so much power, if you will, that a great multitude, both of Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks believed. That's one thing I want to say about Iconium. It had, it had a background. You can tell from what's being utilized in their, in their gods, shall we say. Iconium had more of a Greek background than a Roman background. Okay? You'll find that in the Greek gods that are actually spoken of here. So he's in the synagogue. He's preaching and teaching. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, verse 2, and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. I have, I have in my mark, I just read, poisoned their minds. There's a lot of minds being poisoned in our country today. Is that not true? Uh, untruth is poisoning the minds of people. It's no, long, it's no different than it was then. No, this, there's a word today out of this entire text that just for whatever just blew out of the text at me today. Now let me read verse 2 again. Uh, well, verse 1, it's going great. People are getting saved. It says, but the unbelieving Jews, verse 2, stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brethren. Okay? Stop for a moment. What would you do now if you're Paul and Barnabas? It's okay. You can, you, can, you can be honest. You would probably say, well, this work's done here. Let's go to the next city. Let's move on. Right? Because there's resistance. There's opposition. Okay? Right? 
That's how, that's how it works. Uh, this, it's amazing how, in your life is probably very much like mine, it's amazing how difficult things can be. Just easy things, how difficult it can be, right? Yesterday was one of those days. We're chopping corn silage, and it's like, you can't get anything done. Nothing. And I felt like quitting a million times. But you know what? You can't quit. Because you stop with any progress then, right? You just keep going. But look at the word that's here. So you got the opposition. You got God doing a lot of things. And in verse 3 it says, Long time therefore. What do you mean? What did I just tell you about therefore? Find out what it's there for. Because there was resistance, because there were poisoning of the minds, because of that, they stayed there a long time. They brought the battle. They persevered. That's encouragement to me. Last night, I, hit, I, I, got, to, I, got, I got in at like 1 a.m. in the morning, right? And I'm, I'm, I, I'm just out, and I was depressed because we had one of those days that was like unbelievable. Trucks are falling apart. We can't get anything done. And by the way, the phone is continuing to ring. There is this magic time frame of corn chopping. There's a point at which they say, these are the phone calls, do you think it's going to be too dry, Larry? I don't know. <laughs> but you keep going. You keep going. And Paul and Barnabas, as much as resistance, as much as the poisoning of the minds, all of that taking place, they say, you know what? No. We're going to stay right here, and we're, keep, we're going to keep preaching and teaching the Word of God because of that very thing. Now, that's a new way to look at things, isn't it? To literally, because of the resistance, we're going to stand firm and continue to preach and teach the Word of God. Boy, we need a lot more of that, don't we? We need a lot more of that. Therefore, they abode speaking boldly. I've told you, I already gave you that one. But let's start, let's start writing down qualities now of a discipler. Are you guys okay with that word, or is it just too weird? Messenger, what do you want to use? Okay, we're going to go with that. Uh, discipler. We're going to start writing down qualities. Now, these are, this, is, this is Paul and Barnabas, and you know, you know they're filled with the Spirit. You know that they're gung-ho, go get them. They've been commissioned. What's the first thing that you see them doing? This is a little bit tricky, though. And, well, let's just get the one out of the way that you already know is there. I mean, there is boldness, isn't there? As you bring a game, and it doesn't matter. They are standing firm. Boldness. That's yours, too, as well. How many of you are bold in the Lord? Not bold in you, bold in the Lord. It's a question. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. What are they bold doing? Right, and what is that? What is that? By the way, that's exactly the right answer. What is that? Okay, and what, what are those things? I'm being too... Okay, and, and what, what would we... How, where does that come from? God, and how, how does it express the Holy Spirit, and what, what is that then from the Holy Spirit? It's a, it's a, it's a gift, isn't it? Because if you do it of your own self, flat as a pancake. But it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And each believer, this is what I want you to get at now. Every one of you that has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior have at least one spiritual gift. 
And I would say this, most of the time your gift is in an area that isn't particular in a place that you have been talented. Because God wants you to make sure you understand it's His gift. I probably understand that more than anyone. Because none of you would believe the worst thing you could do to me in high school was to put me in front of a group of people and give a speech. I couldn't do it. See, you're not even believing it's the same guy. Because this is a gift from the Holy Spirit. It's not of me. I have nothing except to be available. Right? Now, we don't have time to go into the list of gifts, but I'm going I'm to give you some passages of Scripture because you need to identify them. But here's the, here's the real important thing. If you were going to ask Paul and Barnabas, did they have spiritual gifts? They would say, yes. But I want to know, were they using their gifts? And the answer is yes. In fact, there's some gifts I'm going to ask you as we unfold this. There's gifts that they were utilizing. You've already named some of them. But there's a list that you'll find in Romans 12. Just write that down. You can do this study on yourself. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Those two will give you a pretty good list of gifts. There's team gifts. There's, there's all kinds of things going on in there. Uh, let, let me just write a few of them down. One of them is, or the gift of prophecy is the same as the gift of preaching. It's taking the Word of God, speaking with boldness, telling about what God's plan is. Boy, we need that today, don't we? So we'll just say preaching. What's another one? Teaching. teaching. What else? Healing, there's healing as well, especially we'll even find that in a, in, a, in a passage in the Scripture today, that it was to verify, to validate the fact that this message was from God. Now, God can heal today. He certainly does. No question about it. But here's something they didn't have. If Paul was going to pick up his, his, the Bible that he would have maybe went to the synagogue with, now we'll find different approaches as well. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm mixing maybe too many things. Did you notice when he was in the Gentiles after they were going to give them sacrifices, they were calling one Jupiter and one Mercurius? Did you know what he didn't do? He didn't go back to the Old Testament. They would have no idea of the Old Testament. It's like our population in America today. You, you can't start with the Bible even. Right? You, they don't even know what the Bible is. You start where they're at. You know what you start with? First of all, there is one massive creation out there. And there is a God, there's a designer who made that. Not evolution. That's the most decrying departure from a great sovereign God as they can imagine. And it makes no sense. Start where they're at. That's where Paul started. But if you were in a synagogue, he started with the Old Testament. Because that was a great place to start. Because they had background. He was starting where they were at. But what if he would have went into the synagogue and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I want to take you to the gospel of John today. I want you to see John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and it's Jesus Christ. Why couldn't he do that? It wasn't written. <laughs> Let's turn to Ephesians. Oh, that's not there. Let's go to Galatians. That's not even there. Do you see the problem? God's Word was not full and complete. The 66 books weren't there. The 40 authors had not turned the work in from the Holy Spirit. Literally, the validation had to come from a gift of healings or tongued languages. All of those things would give credence to the fact of validation. Today, I can go and someone steps to the front and says something. I don't need a miracle. I don't need a healing. I just need the Word of God. 
is he or she following what's in the Word of God? Correct? That's what's really valid is the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You remember that the rich guy that died? Um, there was the Lazarus, right? And there was a rich guy. And he goes to Hades is the correct word. And he's there. And he has a conversation. You know, if I could just go back and talk to my brothers, they would get it. Remember the response? No, they got the prophets. They got the prophets. They've got the Old Testament. It's all right there for them. In fact, you could come back from the dead and they wouldn't believe you. How many people today in America do not believe that Jesus Christ came back from the dead? And he did. Evidence is everywhere. Faith cannot be built on miracles. Faith is built on the Word of God. Period. What else? Serving, Serving yeah. Isn't that a good one? Whew. You could call it helps. You could call it all kinds of things. What else? There's one I love, the one I love, I just, I, I want to be around people like this. The gift of encouragement or exhortation. The scripture says exhortation. Uh, sometimes uh, that gets a little bit, you know what I'm saying, right? Uh, I'm going to exhort you in Jesus. But encouragement is to lift someone up, right? To lift them up. That's what Barnabas was, the son of encouragement. That's his name, right? Anything else? That's right. That's right. Edify and exhort. There's another one that you'll find in this scripture today. Maybe I'll just leave it sit like this. There's another one that the guys, Barnabas and Paul, actually exercise as well. Let's just keep moving, though. Boldness. You know what? They were using their gifts. Are you using your gifts? It's really hard to minister. It's really hard to be an effective discipler if you're not using the gifts God has given you. In fact, it's almost impossible. It's amazing, too, that uh, those of you, you all have a gift. Don't wait to use it until God gives you the place because you're all disciplers today. Every single one of you here seated here today, anyone that hears my voice that's trusted Jesus Christ as Savior is, in fact, a discipler. You are a messenger of the gospel. And if you're a messenger of the gospel, use the gift or gifts that the Holy Spirit is. I mean, that's how literally God is doing power is through you. His power is through you. The Holy Spirit is working. Okay? They were using gifts. What else could we say? Now, someone said already today that there was a healing. No, you said the gift of healing, but there was healing in this passage. What are we relying on at that point? And it's a gift, but what, what is that? That's power, isn't it? How many of you are using all the power that God has given you? Uh, that's a no. I'll just answer for you as well. None of you are using all the power that God has given you. In fact, I want to read a passage that we, I need to get a better grip on, just myself. But let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Amazing. I don't know what you think power is. I don't know how it works in your life. But let's look at how it's described from Paul's perspective in the epistle to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. He's about to get into some real... How he does it is he has three chapters of doctrine. He has three chapters of real life rubber meets the road. Look at chapter 3 of Ephesians. And he says this, verse 20. 
Uh, let's, let's start at verse 19. And to know the love, ah, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. <laughs> Those two verses are so grand, so outrageous, I can't even get you to encompass them. They're just outrageous. That's the power, literally, that our guy, Paul, is reaching out to. Now look at, look at the circumstances it's coming. Let's, let's go down. Let's keep reading our, our passage. Let's go to verse 4. We'll work through it. The multitude of the city was divided. Oh, that's no surprise. Gospel being presented. Part held with the Jews. They were against the gospel, against Jesus, and part with the apostles, plural, the messengers. When there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it. Now, there's a part between boldness and stupid. It's pretty obvious that it sounds like the town is against them to the point now they're going to literally stone them. Now, you know the Jews are, in fact, involved in this now, right? Because that's what Jews do for capital punishment. You know the Jews are absolutely behind this, the non-believing Jews. So what do you do if you're going to get stoned? You leave town. You go somewhere else, right? I mean, you can be bold. They've given the gospel. They've, they've literally stood steadfastly on the Word of God. And now they say, well, it must be time to go. Where did they go? It says they went to Lystra. Now, from, now this, is, this is kind of remarkable. Now, if someone was going to stone you, how far would you go? I'm thinking a couple hundred miles. I'd probably, like, leave. I mean, like, leave the area. I may even think about going to Italy. Why, why not? Do you know how far it is from Iconium to Lystra? It's 18 miles. Do you think they're scared? I don't think so. 18 miles? So they go down to, let's go for another missionary, another conference, shall we say. Let's, let's be praising, let's be making more disciples. Did you see how that missionary term is so fixed, I fell right into it? Did you see that? It wasn't me, it was somebody else, and it's a long ways away. They're going to make disciples 18 miles away. There they preach the gospel. Nothing different, didn't change the message, preach the gospel. That's one of the things that happens. Well, <clears throat> see now. We're going to have to soften this a little bit. The gospel, it's a little bit direct. It's a little bit exclusive. Let's just kind of soften it so that everybody is okay with it. No! <laughs> Don't ever do that. Then it's not the gospel. That's what's wrong with the gospel being presented around the world today. It's not the gospel. Jesus is the only way. I'm the way, the life, and the truth. No one comes out of the Father except by me. That's an exclusive right. Absolutely, it should be that way. That's the truth. Preaches the same gospel, 18 miles away. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfast... I'm sorry, verse 8. There sat a certain man at Lystra. See, we're in Lystra. Impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. Now, this isn't someone that's had a disease. This isn't somebody that, you know, got hurt in a car accident. Or a camel accident, I guess I should say. This is somebody that literally had never, ever walked from his mother's womb. Everyone knew that. I don't think Lister is a place that this guy would have not been known. 
Paul's speaking, he's preaching. He's using a gift. He's engaged. Here's this man. It said the same heard Paul speak. He's listening to Paul speak. In other words, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He's, he's having the opportunity to hear the word of God. And who's steadfast. Paul is steadfastly looking at him. Now think of that. He's giving his message. And for some reason, this impotent, this, this crippled man is capturing Paul's attention. He's just, I would have to believe that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is about to use a circumstance to literally validate and to raise up miraculously that this is God's message. And perceiving that he had faith to be healed, he saw an opportunity of which the Holy Spirit would lead to another level. He said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. Okay, let's say that you're the cripple for a moment. I don't know how old you are, but apparently it's a while. It says a man. And the guy's speaking of what you're listening, and this is good. This is truth. You're hearing truth. You're responding to it in your heart. And all of a sudden, he looks at you and said, stand up right now. I can't do that, right? That's the first, when's the last time he stood up? Never. Did you see the word that's used? He leaped. Poinga. That's like Tigger the Tiger. Poof, pops up, leaps, and walks. That'll bring some attention right? In fact, it brought a lot of attention. Let's keep going. A lot of attention. When the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of, oh, this is a speech, this is a language that Paul wouldn't know. You can see the flurry going on and there's a, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Now there was a, there was some sense of a thought process that was back in this area that the two gods, Zeus, and I can't think of the other one, that actually appeared before this city before, but nobody paid them any attention. Nobody would give them any place to reside except there was an older couple and finally, finally they took them in and the gods were so mad that they destroyed all of the people in the entire city except for these two older people which then were the procurators of this beautiful temple. And then they actually became these majestic living trees. And I'm thinking, that is a stupid story. That's right, that is the other one, correct. But the point is, is this time they're not going to mess up these gods that are coming. They're gonna, we're going we're to honor these gods. And this must be them because they healed somebody. Do you see, just healing by itself doesn't necessarily give the right message. Did you see the message they got? That's not the right message. At any rate, they're going to honor them. In fact, they're going to worship them. There's something else that we'll notice from that. Well, let's, let's keep reading. They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, he was hanging out listening to this as well, which was before their city brought oxen and garlands or, you know, wreaths onto the gates and would have done sacrifice for the people. Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they finally saw what was going on. They tore their clothes and ran out among the people crying out, Sirs, why do you do these things? We're just men like you. We have the same passions as you do. Now, it's interesting how many people even through all of history, yearn for worship. I may not use that word, but attention, to be lifted up. Remember what happened to our dear friend, Mr. Herod Agrippa, back in Acts or ways? And that's one day he's got his shiny little armor on, and he's like a god, and he sucked it in. And guess what? God said, no, that's enough for you right now, buddy. That's mine, mine alone. I think there's another quality that we see here. 
you know, Paul and Barnabas could have been God for a day, right? Just kind of took it all in. And, you know, it was a pretty cool thing we did for that guy. He's healed. And, you know, I'm going to get now on based on that, I'm going to give you the gospel. I'm going to pound this into you. It's not God's way. It's God's will. It's God's will, God's way. And you know what's not involved in any of that is pride. What's the opposite of pride? Now you're going to get it. Humility. You show me a quality of a discipler, and I'll make, I'm positive that humility be part of that person. Humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. Humility. Humility. He goes in and he says, this is where it gets a little rough. Now, again, I want you to now for just a moment, in a few verses, watch the fickleness of people. You remember Jesus Christ on Passion Week? On a Monday, he rides in on a donkey, fulfilling the scriptures. And he is king, right? King for a day. And by Friday afternoon, the same week, he's hanging on a cross. Watch this. Mercurius turns into something very different in their minds. He says that we're just like you, and we want you to turn from these vanity. We want you to turn from these gods. Ooh, that's going to be a problem. Unto the living God, singular, which made heaven and earth. He made them. And to see in all things that are therein, and in times past has suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. But he left us himself with a witness. When Jesus Christ came, he left us a witness. He's given you rain. He's given you all of the bountiful things that literally you don't deserve. Verse 18, and with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people. They were still trying to do sacrifice to them. Watch verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from, oh, the dirty Jews, right? Here they come. They're coming from where? Antioch and Iconium. They slipped down the 18 miles into Lystra. Who persuaded the people and did you see it? This is crazy. He's he's moved from Mercurius the God to being stoned. He was stoned. Left for dead. They drew him out of the city, which supposing he had been dead. That's a turn of events. Howbeit, as the disciples stood, who's the, who's, who are those disciples? That's the one that has trusted Christ, literally, in this little town of Lystra. They've went out, they've taken a stand. They're going to surround, they're going to be with Paul, the one that has literally told them about Jesus Christ. And out of that, he rises up. He was supposed to be dead from the people that had stoned him. He's outside of the city. He gets up. And he goes where? That can't possibly be true, can it? He got up, he rose up, and came into the city. Why would you do that? I would go to the next city. Remember this. He has boldness, he's using his gifts, he has power from God, and he's humble. What does he have to fear? Nothing. If you're a discipler and those qualities are in your life, I'll tell you right now, if you are a discipler and you see yourself as a, these are qualities that will start to rise up. They will be who you are. He goes back into city and then the next day he leaves. 
Now, what, if, what would you do? I can't imagine those people that had fin- thought they finished the job, and here he comes back into town. And he's probably dragging a leg. I'm going to be honest. If you've stoned him to the point you thought he was dead, he's going to be beat up. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> right? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Right? There's got to be somebody that had to trust Christ after that. And then, just to show you, there's another one here. Because right now, I'm convinced that most of us, after being... How many of you have been stoned? Please don't raise your hand. (laughs) Right? Let's say you have been. And stoned enough that they drug you out of the city. But you weren't dead. You got up, and you went back into town. You went back to the Napa store. Right? Wouldn't you quit? (laughs) Wouldn't you quit? This guy didn't. In fact, watch him. Watch him. Now, this is, I'm going to give you the number five because it's, it's amazing. This is the one that sometimes is hard for us to get. What'd you say? That's, well, okay, that was not the word I was going to use, but I like it. It's the same. Persistence. Never gives up. Persistence. What's the, tell me what a Christian, someone that's trusted Christ. Now, again, it's not for me, it's not for you to judge who's accepted Christ. Okay, somebody can say anything they want to say. How do you know someone's accepted Christ? Fruits. They continue, don't they? We're going to see it in a moment. They're going to come back. There's another quality that we'll find in a discipler. But it's amazing how a true Christian will continue going forward. They'll continue in Christ. If it's just words, they'll slip away. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they were never of us. That's why they went out from us. Because if they were with us, they would have stayed with us. It's true, isn't it? Persistence. Now watch this. What would you do after the day after you would have gotten stoned to the point that most of the people had stoned you, drug you out of town? You were knocked unconscious for sure. Said supposing he was dead. Now there are some actually... Biblical scholars believe he was dead and he was resurrected. I don't believe that's true because it said supposing he was dead. That word supposing is pretty clear. But nonetheless, he would have appeared to have been dead. Okay? What are you going to do the next day? I may take a day off. Just kind of heal up a little bit. I have one big headache. <laughs> right. Among other, oh man, you'd have stuff you didn't even know you owned that hurt. Watch what he does. Howbeit his disciples stood round about him probably praying for him. He rose up, came into the city. The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Oh, well, that's what I do the next day. I just walk another 30 miles. Well, I just get up and go after I've been stoned the day before. Unbelievable, the tenacity of this guy. You can't put him down. But remember, this is somebody that God saved. This is somebody the Holy Spirit got a hold of. This is that same Saul who was persecuting Christians day and night, chasing at a level of zealousness that I can't even give to you. That was who this man was. And now, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, all of those things that are above what he could think or ask, the power that was within him, what's a 30-mile walk to Derby? Right? Can you believe this guy? So they go to Derby. We've got stuff to do in Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city preached, told them God's plan, and had taught many. Now, in, your, in the version you may be reading from, it would say again, making disciples. Correct? Anybody got? 
See it? They taught many. They returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Nine. What's happening now is our first journey, our first discipler journey, is actually beginning to retreat, going back the same way. Now, here's another thing about a discipler. It's not just getting someone saved. There's another part of this. This is very important. Let's watch it develop. So we've come as far as Derby. That's as far as that journey came. Then they go back the same way they came. Just go back. And they're going to go, they're going to actually from Italia, they go back to Antioch. Okay. Watch what happens. After they made many disciples in Derby, they returned again to Lystra. Where was Lystra? That's where he was stoned. <laughs> you talk about boldness. He goes back again. But why is he going back? Watch. And to Iconium and Antioch, in each one of those places, it says that he is confirming the souls. He's encouraging the souls of the disciples. He's lifting them up. He's following up. Let's look at this. How many, how many of the folks that you have discipled, those people that are on their way to Christ, shall we say, just you're, you're, you're keeping them, are keeping them in your prayers and your thoughts, and someone has trusted Christ, how often do you come back to follow up? That's what Paul did. Look at the letters, the epistles to Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. You go on and on. That's a follow-up, isn't it? He's confirming and wanting them to continue in, their, in, in going forward. I'm going to just say, uh, I'm going to go follow-up. Follow-up. There's actually several facets to that. The first one we find in the sense of confirmation, to teach, um, in, in confirming, it's to glue, if you think of that for a moment. It's to glue or to firm up, to make a solid foundation. You see, it's not just enough to, to, to get saved. There's, there's people today that have trusted Christ as Savior and have no foundation. They're, they're just floating. That's not biblical. To teach, to exhort, to encourage in the Word of God, to bring foundation, to have glue to the sense of truth. Glue them to truth. That's actually, I've never said that before. Glue, glue them to truth. That's good. And to encourage them. He's exhorting them. Look, you see it in verse 22. He's exhorting them to continue in the faith. Continue. And this is, a, and in the faith, that we must go, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. One thing that you know for sure, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you're going to have some resistance. There's going to be, and James talked about it, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or various temptations. For the trying of your faith works with patience. And patience brings first the perfect work. That's how you mature, right? Now, how many sign up? Did you guys sign up last week for uh, patience? Have you had anybody pray for patience for you? Don't have, don't have them do that intentionally. Because to have patience, to have maturity, you're going to have to have trials. Trials bring maturity. Trials bring the sense of growing up. But it's through trials that God shapes us and makes us what He wants us to be. Trials. Trials. But what else does He do? Look at verse 23. When they had ordained them elders in every church, he went back and he's, he's giving them leaders. He's getting them organized. Oh, that's a, that's a gift we missed, wasn't it? What would we call that? Leader, leader yeah. We, our administration. I'm going to go leader because it's a shorter word and it's easier to spell. Leader, leaders. See, that's, again, to have all of these different believers in different cities without any organization, Right? Gifted administration of leaders, spiritually giving them organization. And then it says, 
and prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord. He committed them to the Lord on whom they believed. There's a commitment. There's a, that sense of follow-up. Those four things, teaching, exhorting, leading, and committing. That's something that I'm not, I don't do enough of, honestly. You know, I'm meeting with some guys, uh, some young guys through the week. And it's important that I do some of that, isn't it? It's important for you. You know, and this is the, I believe very strongly in this. If someone's, if someone's phone number, in my case, it's a lot of times it's a number, not even a name. Boom, there's a number in my, in my head. I need to call that number. God wants me to speak to that person or may leave a message. Someone wants you to write, maybe God wants you to write a note of encouragement. A quick card. Hey, just thinking of today. There's a young, there's a young lady that I, that I had in True Seekers. This week I need to write her a card. She's got some decisions coming up. I, need, I know I need to do that. No, because I've said this publicly, now I'll probably do it, right? Isn't that amazing how we become a little more responsible when we put ourselves in that level? That's part of follow-up. That's a quality of a discipler, following up, following up. After they had passed through, throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. So they're retracing their tracks. You can see Pamphylia. They're actually making this journey back through the Taurus Mountains, probably. They come to Perga, and it says that they preached the word in Perga, and they went down into Italia. They're looking for a seaport uh, right here, just the neighborhood to, to Perga, and then they're going to go directly over to the place that they were sent. They were sent from Antioch in, in Syria. They sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God. This was where the work began in which they fulfilled. Here's one of the things that actually, this is what keeps this whole thing going, is the seventh quality of a discipler is the fact of they're also a sharer. Now, what do I mean by that? They're going back, and that's one of the things. If you've, have you had a missionary come? Who was the last? Uh, we had someone here. Oh, they had a slide. Who was, who was the last one that had a, we had a little bit of a presentation on the board? Yeah, Wycliffe. Isn't it, isn't it good to hear from those people that are out there? Now, they are away from us. They are acting as a missionary, if you will, someone away from us. We can use that term that way. But don't ever discount the fact you, when you exit this door, you are literally entering the mission field. Don't discount that for a second, because that's really your disciple. You are a discipler. But it's fun to see for those people to share what's going on in the work, isn't it? It's really fun. In fact, what it does is it brings encouragement to us. It's because that's where the next recruitments are. They're back in Antioch. Guess what? They're, they're ready to go. They're going to they're gonna probably be a discipler somewhere. To share. And guess what? Here's the bottom line. And when you have humility, oh, look at these things in the discipler. Boldness, they're using their gifts. Power from the Spirit, they're humi- humble, persistent, and they're following up. Part of the sharing message is as you share with others, guess who's glorified? God is. In fact, look at it. What a right perspective. perspective. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. Now, there's a lot of things in chapter 14 that you can zone in on. But to me, it's the fact that Barnabas and Paul are really great examples of what a discipler looks like. We're here in Sheridan, Montana today. For us, a missionary is not somebody that's in Africa. It's not somebody that's in New York City. Oh, yes, there's people there, the disciples. But we're here. 
We're disciples right here. And the things that made Paul and Barnabas really good disciples are the things that will make you a really good discipler. Are these things in your life? Are these things qualities that you have? And if they're not, how do we fix that? We walk in the Spirit. We pray to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know what your gift is. That's okay. At least you're wanting to know what your gift is. When's the last time you asked the Lord to show you what your gift is? And then, even more importantly, if you have this, there's sort of like the Spirit will push you towards something, right? Are you doing that? <laughs> That's even more important. Are you available? Because as you begin to be using that gift, guess what? You will get confirmation from others around you. That's your gift. I think of people, I, I think, of, I think of a lot of you out there that literally have the gift of helps. You just, you just want to fill in. You want to give what needs to be done. Don't discount any of that. God uses all of these gifts for edifying and exhorting and pulling us all together. There's a sense of unity that takes place of this. I can't imagine these churches on the return trip. Now, Paul hadn't been gone very long. But for him to organize that church and to literally confirm them, that is to encourage them and to show them, oh, my goodness, wouldn't it have been something? It would be just like they're, almost like their father, if you will. Chapter 14, wow. Let's turn, to, um, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13, and we'll close here with this part of it. Hebrews chapter 13, the benediction of Hebrews. Uh, it says, Now the God of peace, verse 20, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the God of peace bringing back to dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Everything's different because of that to make you perfect or mature in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that exactly the desire that we should have going forward? Qualities of a discipler. There's nothing more that Jesus Christ wants of you to be a discipler. He wants you to have all of these things. He wants all of those qualities because the more that you become like that, the more glory He has. The more glory He has, the more that this continues to cycle. The more come to Him. The more recruits there are to be disciples. Thank you for Barnabas and Paul as they've, as they've stepped forward to do exactly what God has called them to do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Thank you for Paul, that one that was met by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. That one that was literally his life breathed of killing Christians now shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. Has become a discipler. Uh, Father, I just pray for these that are here today, they and their families. They have concerns, they have issues, they have circumstances that you knew before they did. There may be health issues, there may be financial challenges, there may be emotional, there may be spiritual, there may be all kinds of things, Father, of which is plaguing them, that is gnawing at them. Father, there's nothing that you can't handle. There's nothing that they are not safe from as you state in Romans chapter 8. 
There's nothing that can separate them from the love of you. Father, I would pray for them in that situation that may not even be something they can discuss with anyone, that you would wrap your arms around them, that they would feel your love, your security, your peace that passes all understanding as they go forward. Father, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the Lord God, creator, and the Savior of their hearts. Father, we trust you in every way. Thank you for the faith that literally comes to us through the Word of God. Particularly, Father, we've looked at these qualities of a discipler. May that, in fact, be more true of us each and passing day. Thank you for your love. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.